This is the third week of Advent, which is joy. And so let's let's turn in our Bibles to First uh, to John chapter three, but let's look at the prologue, which is the first four verses of First John, and it has everything to do with joy. So let's read that together. Here's the verses. It says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed, and we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard we also declare to you, so that you may have fellowship along with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. We know here from this very beginning that we actually experience joy when we are in fellowship with God. And uh, our joy collectively is actually complete when all of us are in fellowship with God. And that speaks to the body of Christ and the importance of each member in the body. And so when one member of the body is suffering, we're all affected. We can all feel that. And sometimes my wife and I will say to each other, what part of your body hurts the most today? Maybe you can relate. So this is how this letter opens up with the prologue talking about joy that we experience from being in fellowship with God. It's all about how Jesus pre-existed, eternally pre-existed, long before the creation of anything. He has eternal, the eternal life that was with the Father has been revealed to us. And so we, last week we started opening into this idea of manifestation, things that are manifested, something that has already existed, but you're just now becoming aware of it. And so John's talking about how Jesus was revealed to us. And uh, we saw him, we heard him, we touched him. We listened to his teachings. And this is what we have declared to you. So this is from the beginning. This is the first time that's introduced. Well, after, after this prologue, what John begins to do is he walks through those four components that are necessary for fellowship with God. And here's the, there's the four. Confession, obedience, godliness, and doctrine. And in the first parentheses by each one of them, I put, I showed you where they were first introduced to us as we move through the letter. And what we're going to see happen is John has revisiting them. He's returning to those four and he will walk through them very quickly. But that's kind of where we're at in the letter right now. And so uh, these four ingredients are critical. And so after he's walked through all four of them, it's kind of like, uh, like he celebrates that uh, with the closing. And so he talks about who we are as Christians. First, he talks about what we're going to be, the way things are going right now, uh, our bodies, the sin nature, you know, all of these things. It's not always going to be like this. When Jesus returns for us, we're going to be changed and then he moves into the passage we studied last Sunday where he talked about 
It's not so much, it's not only what we will be, but it's who we are right now. Um, we actually have a new nature. So there's a, a sinless component that is part of our new nature, or that's it, it's sinless. And, uh, uh, but the fact is that we also still have our sin nature, so we continue to sin. So these are the things that have moved us through to where we're at in the letter right now. We are in chapter 3. Our passage this morning is going to begin in verse 10. And as I said before, John is revisiting these four components, these four ingredients that are necessary, that are essential for salvation. Uh, last week he was talking about sin. And when he was talking about sin, he was talking about how sin is on two different layers. On, on one hand, uh, even though we have this sinless new nature, even though that's true, we still want to commit to having a lifestyle that practices righteousness rather than a lifestyle that practices sin. Sounds kind of elementary and, and ridiculously clear, but uh, it's something we have to really decide if, in our hearts. We're going to see that in this passage this morning, and this is a, a mental decision that we make about what kind of a lifestyle we want to live. And so as he's talking about sin, he's talking about the new nature too at the same time and how uh, there is a sinless part of us, but it's the new nature. And uh, it doesn't live out the way it should in our lives. We, we read Paul in Romans 7, how he was struggling with sin in his life and how frustrated that was to him. Because his heart wanted to do right. He had a desire not to practice sin. He had a desire to live the way he was supposed to, even though he failed all the time. And so, uh, what is the very first ingredient of fellowship that we went, we've studied? What's the very first one? It's confession. Confession implies that you sin and that I sin. This is the... the which one is that up there now, you guys? Is that the, I think I've got these backwards in my brain. Did I already do that one? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's the outline of the letter that we went through so far. And back here we're at these four components. So which one's the very first one? It's confession. So inherent in your desire to not practice sin is the fact that you're sinning. You're just choosing not to practice sin. You, you wish you didn't. You do, but you wish you didn't. You want to live a better life, a more sinless life. That desire is there. And so what is the remedy for us when we have sinned? It's confession. You know, uh, when you go to ballet practice and baseball practice and football practice, even when you're playing a video game, the objective is not to lose. The objective is to improve and get better. So God wants us to have that mindset in how we live. Not to have the mindset of practicing sin and just trying to do better at it. Try not to get caught. Um, you know, so again, it speaks to the heart of the believer. And what we're going to see in our passage, what's basically what he was talking about last Sunday, was how the heart of a believer is supposed to not want to live that way. And if you find yourself feeling that way, that's, that's good. That's a confirmation that something has happened inside of you that's new. 
Well, so uh, whether we realize it or not, last Sunday he was actually talking about confession because it's woven into this conversation he was having about sin and the new nature. And so now what he's going to do in this text we're going to study this morning is he's going to approach the last, the, the, the next two components of obedience and godliness. And you'll remember that godliness and doctrine were both presented to us in the forms of warnings. Uh, not to be worldly and to be on guard and protect pure, true doctrine. And to not let that slip or slide away. And so this morning we're looking at walking in the light, living a life of obedience, being godly. And these two are woven together in this section that actually begins in verse 10 and goes to the end of the chapter. So chapter 3 beginning in verse 10, moving all the way to the end of the chapter. And uh, we're going to only look at the very first half today. But it's important for us to know that in this section, it can easily be divided into two. In the first section, what John is going to talk about is how is how if you are a Christian, if you really are, and if you're in fellowship with God, it's going to look a certain way. Um, you're going to have a lifestyle that is making an honest attempt to not practice sin. You're going to be making an honest attempt to practice righteousness. And that is going to manifest itself in a certain way. Now, I, uh, And the way it's going to manifest itself in this first section is that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we love each other. The fact that we love each other manifests what's really going on in our heart. So that's in our passage this morning that we're looking at. And then in the last half of this section, remember, it's all kind of one thing. He's talking about obedience and he's talking about godliness and he's woven it all together in verses 10 through 24. And in the last half, what he's going to look at, and so next Sunday is our Christmas program, but the following Sunday we'll look at this last half. And what it is, is it's actually this, this wonderful uh, benefit that we have for having a a lifestyle of righteousness. There's a, there's a beautiful benefit that we all enjoy. And so here's our passage. Let's read it together. It begins at verse 10. This is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us, so we should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need but shuts off his compassion from him, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must, love in word or, we must not love in word or speech, but in deed and in truth. 
So verse 10 opens up with a contrast of lifestyles. The righteous lifestyle loves one another. And this is talking about Christians loving each other. It says this is something that we've heard from the beginning. So what is from the beginning? Well, you just have to think of it like this. There's, there's John, the apostle, and he's introduced to Jesus Christ. He, he's around him every day. And so he saw all of the things Jesus did, all of the things he said, and the things he taught. And John remembers when Jesus said, love one another. He remembered in the upper room when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And he remembered when Jesus laid down his life on the cross. So John saw what it looks like to love one another. And he remembered that. And so when John moves forward in time and he's writing this letter of 1 John, he's thinking about that. He's thinking about when Jesus said, love one another. And so John writes the letter. John's writing a letter to Christians that he's explained the gospel to. People who, he's, people who he has introduced to Jesus. People who he is discipling. The readers of these letters. And he's saying to them, hey, remember who I told you about in the beginning? Jesus, what I told you about Him, how I saw Him, how I touched Him, I heard, him, I heard the things He did, I saw it with my own eyes, the things that I have declared to you, the things that you believe. So these people here have to reflect back to what John told them when they heard the Gospel. And so this is what it's talking about. It's, it's telling us that uh, this is something that Jesus has been saying from the very beginning to love one another. And so, uh, in the beginning to John means a little bit different than it does to the people who are reading. You know, because we weren't eyewitnesses like John was. But John is recalling to them, remember what I said. Remember what you've been taught. Remember what you believed in the beginning. Jesus tells us to love one another. And so, uh, as we move through 1 John, we moved through those four ingredients. Confession and obedience and godliness and doctrine. And as we moved through them, when we came to obedience, John already did, he already done told us that, he already has already done told us, this is not right, is it? But he, he already told us <laughs> that uh, we're supposed to love one another. In chapter 2, verse 10, he says, the one who loves his brother remains in the light. And so here in our passage again, we can see that John is revisiting that subject again and how important it is for us to love one another. So what is the command? What is this new command? It's not really a new command. It's one we've been given in the past. What is the new command? Love one another. Well, what does that actually mean? There was a woman in church who was quite surprised one Sunday morning when uh, another woman came up to her and hugged her. And this woman rarely gives her the time of day. And so as she was walking away, she was just kind of like, well, what was that all about? What, why the change of heart? And she didn't know the answer until the end of the service when the sermon was over and the pastor said, all right, folks, well, today's assignment is the same assignment I gave last Sunday. I want you to go out there and love somebody that you just can't stand. Well, in our passage this morning, what John's going to do is he's going to tell us what it looks like to not love someone, to not love one another, what that actually looks like. And then he's going to tell us what it does look like. Those are the two things that are going to happen in just these eight short verses, verses 10 through 18. 
Well, the first, the first example was Cain, because Cain murdered his brother. And so John goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. In verse 12 of 1 John, it says, Love one another, unlike Cain, who was of the evil one. That's the devil. Cain was the firstborn, and uh, he, was, he was a farmer, a tiller of the ground. He worked the ground. And this is in Genesis chapter 4. Abel was a shepherd. And both of them brought offerings to God, and both of the offerings were from the toils of their hands, they brought, the, brought, brought produce from the ground and, and produce from the livestock. They brought, brought them to God. But only Abel brought a blood sacrifice. And so God did not have favor on Cain's offering. The Bible tells us that Cain was furious. Very furious. He was angry. And God asked him, He said, Cain, why are you furious? Why do you look so despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. Look at what that verse is telling us. It says that God loves everybody. And that He's ready to accept everybody. It wasn't that He didn't like Cain or He decided He wanted to send Cain to hell or anything like that. He said, all you have to do is soften your heart. Don't, let it, don't harden your heart. Won't you be accepted too if you'll do what's right? Approach me on my terms. Be repentant. Honest about your sin. Sorry about your sin. Without the remission of... Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Something that God taught Adam and Eve right from the very beginning. His parents. And so He'd been raised by His parents... And even though they had probably taught him the right way, his heart had gotten hard and hardened towards God. And he was furious. And furious for the wrong reasons. And God said, look, sin's crouching at your door. It's ready for you. It'll eat you up. So this is two offerings that are contrasted by two brothers and two very different hearts. Cain was angry with God. And he was jealous of Abel, Abel's approval. Just think about that. He was angry at God and jealous of Abel. And it led to hatred and even to murder. We can see the connection there. So if you've ever been jealous, if you've ever been angry, if you've ever hated anybody. I know Gene's killed some people. <laughs> I never understood how hatred and murder were the same things. But this is what it is. I've probably told this story. As you get older, you tell the same ones over and over. But uh, I grew up in a, in a poor church, poor home, small church, poor home. My dad was a pastor. And we did without. Our cars were junk. They died in the middle of left turns and intersections. We had to climb out the window because the door didn't work. And we pushed the car out. I hated carburetors. And uh, I remember one time there was this Elvis Presley commercial on TV. It just kept playing over and over. 
and play all these hits. You ain't nothing but a hound dog and all this. And we were little bitty kids. And we always asked mom to buy that album, but it was too much money. We didn't have it. And we kept asking her and asking her. I remember one day, she got out all her money and we counted it all up. And then we went and got all of our money from our piggy banks and everything. We added it all up. It wasn't enough. I was disappointed that boy. I was a little boy that was disappointed. Too bad. Now we can't buy it. I didn't have enough money to buy an Elvis Presley album. As I got a little older, my eyes started seeing more things. And I saw that there were people at our church who drove nicer cars than we did. And people who were living a lot better than we were, like a lot better. And my fists just started clenching. I didn't realize that my parents were making that sacrifice willingly to serve. I didn't realize that. I wasn't looking at it that way. And I didn't realize that those people who God had blessed financially were supporting the church. They were paying all the bills and making all kinds of sacrifices. I couldn't see any of that. I was just angry. Hated. wasted a lot of years of my life after that. So I understand what Cain did. I understand it. One of the more important things for us to remember as Christians is that evil, whether we're talking about the devil or unbelievers or the world, it doesn't like opposition and it's going to remove opposition if it can. So if you were a Christian who is living right, you can expect opposition. John says, don't be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. You know, if four girls go into a store at the mall, three of them shoplift, the other three are going to expect the fourth girl to steal something. Misery loves company. You know, media outlets, our educational system, the, the uh, entertainment industry, and, and all of the powerful social media giants right now are censoring free speech. They're only allowing true speech as they have defined it. As witnesses for Jesus, you can expect the, the adversary to work overtime to remove you from the picture one way or another. Pastors messing it up so bad that they are no longer qualified to be a pastor. Um... Just trying to minimize your witness. Silence you. So that you're just, you're no longer a threat. Well, God tried to warn Cain about this. He said, he said, Cain, sin is crouching right outside your door. You open that door, it's ready to pounce. It's desire is for you. Don't do this. Don't harden your heart. Don't make this decision. You know, when, when Cain killed Abel, it wasn't because Abel was a little brat. He was a little golden boy. It wasn't because Abel was a bully. And Cain didn't kill Abel because he was off his meds or having a bad day or depressed. The Bible tells us he was just sinning. It says that he was evil.
It says that his deeds were just evil. And make no mistake, hatred can be directed to other people, but the real target is God. So don't be surprised if the world hates you. Verse 13. John chapter 8, verse 44, the same person who wrote this letter, he says that Satan has been a murderer from the beginning. Not from the moment he was created, but from the moment he sinned. Think about what the devil did. He was jealous of God, angry of God, proud, puffed up with pride. And so built into that sin from the very beginning was murder. So uh, I think it's helpful for us to just look at the polar opposites of hatred and love. That helps us to understand how hatred can be, in a sense, murder. Hatred and love. Uh, Love um, is not self-centered. So hatred is all, all, obviously, hatred is having a very self-centered heart. It's the kind of person that says, you know, I'll help you uh, as long as it helps me. Or uh, I'll help you, but as long as it doesn't become a big hassle. But if it comes down to you or me, well, you know who's going to win. It's a very self-centered attitude. And so God wants us to have a, a servant's heart where we serve other people. Um, you know, when we, when we turn in our, in our hearts, when we, when we turn to ourselves, when we become selfish and self-centered, what we're actually doing from this passage, you can see it, is what we're actually doing is we're, we're turning our face away from God. That's what we're actually doing when we're selfish. And uh, when, you, when you turn your face away from God, uh, most of us have never murdered anybody, uh, but when you've turned your face against God, you're committing that sin, and that sin manifests what's going on in your heart. That sin manifests itself in your life in various ways and in various degrees. But it's the same. It's following after the footsteps of the devil. It's a, it's a bad place to be. This is why God wants us to recognize how bad sin is. But the truth is, is that, especially from the passage we studied last Sunday, um, and when we studied obedience the first time in chapter 2, uh, it's, it's obvious that we sin all the time. So we're guilty of these things. But the difference is that a Christian is not supposed to be comfortable living there. You're not supposed to be comfortable practicing sin. That should make you uncomfortable when you do something wrong. Well, John isn't writing this uh, to discourage us. You know, that's the, that's the last thing he's trying to do. Instead, he's wanting us to, to be encouraged and to stay in the fight, to have confidence, to have a, to have a clear conscience, and to have a, a strong heart to serve. So this is meant to encourage us. Um, he says, I've written these things so that you know if, if you love the brethren, then you can have assurance of your salvation. That's a wonderful thing for you. Because when you see this, you can recognize that something wonderful has happened in your heart. You know, one of the neatest things about becoming a Christian is that as soon as you do, instantly, immediately, you've got this different attitude about other Christians and church and and, and God and the Bible. All of a sudden, you, you see it completely different. I remember 
It's assurance of our salvation. In verse 14, John says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Now, John has shown us what loving our brother doesn't look like here with Cain, but Jesus has shown us what it really means when he laid down his life for us. And when it says laid down, it's the picture of taking a garment off and laying it down. It says Jesus laid aside his life for us. And so we are challenged to have that same heart, to have that same mindset that we would do that. Most of the people I work with at work are, are lost. I would suggest, I would think, I would think that most of the police officers here in Cincinnati are lost. They certainly have not testified of their faith in Christ to me. Some of them have. But the same people who want to defend the defund the police, the same ones who would try to shoot a gun at them or something or fight with them in some alley, those guys are lost, but even them, they would lay down their lives for those people in an instant without even hesitating. So Christians should obviously have that same mindset. And we've seen that several times when people come into a congregation and start shooting incredible acts of bravery where people risk their own lives the lives of others. Christians are supposed to love each other to the point that where we would lay down our life for someone, for another believer, if it was called upon to do that. But that's not usually what happens. And so he's given us a more practical application. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? It's verse 17. John is talking about putting love into action. Uh, love is not something that we just talk about having or that we want more of. It's something that actually manifests itself in some way, a tangible way. And so what John has done here is he went from the greater to lesser. Obviously, the greatest sacrifice is giving your life. It's your only possession. It's the only possession that you can... It's the only thing that you have, but uh, it's, it's your greatest possession is your life. And so the greatest sacrifice that you can make is with your life. But as far as God's concerned, it is a lesser sacrifice to help your brothers and sisters in Christ when you can. That's the key. When you have the world's goods, when there's something that you can do for somebody and you don't. Don't fool yourself and tell yourself that you're in fellowship with God because you're not. You're doing something that's wrong. You're not having that servant's heart that I have. Jesus, not me. But you can see the, the idea there. So being kind, being generous with what you do have is very practical. It's something that you can actually do on a daily basis. And it says here, uh, you know, not to close your eyes to this need. anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need but shuts off his compassion from him, how can God's, God's love reside in him? So we don't want to be like that. But now Christians, God wants us to work. He wants us to make our own way. 
He doesn't want us to think, oh, well, these guys have got everything. They, uh, they got it all. God's blessed them. So uh, uh, cough it up, boys. Bring it, bring it on. You know, we don't want to have that attitude either, right? There has to be a balance to this. I, I shared something in my heart about a mistake I made as a little boy. It cost me years. Years and years. I had a lot of bad things. has to be a balance. We have to have a balance where we realize that uh, the church isn't the welfare department. We're not here to just give handouts to everybody. If you don't work, you don't eat. Work. Earn your way. But when you have a problem and we can see someone's got a need, we should try to help each other when we can. So if you've ever wondered if you would lay down your life if called upon. Or if you've ever wondered if you would renounce your faith in Christ if you were under torture. Well, let's just try to handle this smaller test first. Let's pray.